Welcome to the Pre-Vet Podcast. I'm Alex Avellino, your tour guide on the journey to becoming a veterinarian. Listen along as we provide you with tips, tricks, and tales on applying to veterinary school. Welcome back to the Pre-Vet Podcast. I'm Alex Avellino, and today our guest is Dr. Fox Alvarez, one of our veterinary medical oncology residents. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Today we're going to be talking about oncology, and before we even get into that, um, I want to mention that you might recognize the name Dr. Fox Alvarez, and that's because in our episode about surgery and cardiology, your husband was on our show. Yeah, he was. He was, and he was a wonderful guest, and um, I'm sure you're going to be just as wonderful. Speaking of wonderful, can you tell us about your wonderful path to veterinary medicine? Where did you go to undergrad? Where did you get your DVM? What did it look like for you? So I went to undergrad at the University of Alabama in Tuscaloosa, Roll Tide. And um, <laughs> I was I started actually shadowing when I was an undergrad at a veterinarian's office. We had a preceptorship for people that wanted to do veterinary school. I think I was one of maybe eight people mm-hmm. <laughs> that was signed up. And I really enjoyed working with the clinicians. I just was at a general practitioner's office. Um, but most of that, my time in undergrad was spent in a research laboratory, actually. I worked in a lab that uses uh, nematodes as model organisms for Parkinson's disease and other movement disorders. I decided that I wanted to go to veterinary school, and I applied to three places because I knew I wanted to stay in the southeast. I'm, I'm from Tampa, even though I went to school in Alabama. So I got into Florida. I came here. I was very familiar with research and laboratory benchtop things, and I was really interested in public health. So I actually did the concurrent DVM MPH program through the University of Florida. And I thankfully, very much thankfully, had the foresight to do a rotating internship after I graduated. Um, I thought that I wanted to go into a less clinical side of veterinary medicine. But I also really didn't want to forget everything that I just shoved in my head. And so I, I, I'm a, more of a, like a learner while doing things person. I will say that um, a lot of times on the show we have clinicians come on who chose their internship to get to the residency. But I've heard of a lot of other veterinarians want to do an internship because they're not quite ready to make a decision about what they want to do after. And so that's also an option. You know, students, if you're getting ready to graduate from vet school and you're uh, unsure about what the next step is, an internship might be a great opportunity to get some more mentorship, to remember everything you just shoved in your head over those four years. So when I did my rotating internship, I, from that, honestly, just learned, I like this and I don't want to give it up. Perfect. I am not ready to not see patients. I am not ready to not talk to clients. And I, I actually want to practice medicine, kind of to fill a gap in my decision making. I worked emergency medicine for a year um, and I really liked that. Uh, And so then I still wasn't quite sure what I wanted to do. So I decided to do an emergency internship here at the vet school. And then also to be back in the hospital, to be around different services and decide where I felt like I would fit. Okay. So, so far we have undergrad, DVM, small animal rotating, a year of emergency, and now a year emergency internship. Yes. Okay. Okay. 
<laughs> so that is a different path. And, and what I'm hearing, and I hope everyone hears this, is that it's okay to not know where you want to go. Sometimes you will feel lost, um, but you just keep going and you keep trying new things to figure out where you fit. I figured out probably three or so months in, maybe two, it might have been three weeks actually, <laughs> into my emergency and critical care internship that I really felt probably the most at home in oncology. Um, and so oncology for everybody that isn't uh, very familiar with it is the study of cancer medicine. Um, and the way that we approach it in veterinary medicine is through like multiple different angles, same thing with human medicine. So there's uh medical oncology, which deals with treatment of cancer with medical means like chemotherapy. It's also kind of grown to engulf the uh, cancer vaccines and cancer immunotherapy that's growing in both veterinary medicine and in human medicine. There's surgical oncology, which approaches cancer from a surgical perspective, trying to go in and get disease out of the body. Um, and then there's actually radiation oncology as well, which uses radiation and several different delivery mechanisms to try to treat cancer either without surgery, if surgery isn't a good option for a patient, or after surgery has been done, but when we know that we've got a high likelihood of some microscopic cancer cells being left behind. So oncology in veterinary medicine encompasses all of those things and works from different angles to treat a patient entirely, not just one aspect of their disease, to try to result in the best outcome. Is there a specific one of those branches of oncology that you focus on? I'm, I'm, so I'm a medical oncology resident, which focuses kind of on uh, chemotherapy mm -hmm. as treatment for cancer. Uh, in the, the vet hospital here, we do, so medical oncology service has the most appointments. Okay. So we see the most cases, and I, I just get an appointment that has a patient with cancer. You know, I don't know a whole lot sometimes about why they're coming in. Sometimes I don't even know what cancer they're coming in for. Um, and sometimes they've already been treated and evaluated somewhere else and they're coming for a second opinion or because they've moved or because we honestly offer a lot of things that are not offered outside of places like this where we might have advanced options for treatment. So it sounds like there's a lot of aspects that you're thinking about and I always ask veterinarians, what type of personality or what types of strengths does a student need who would make a great oncologist? That's a really good question. I think that probably the most important thing is just being really open with communication to clients because I'm recommending things that cost sometimes a, a whole lot of money. I want people to know why I'm recommending these things. I just, I don't want to say, hey, this is what we need to do. I want to say, these are all the things that I'm considering right now. This is where this could be going. This is what may happen to your pet over the long term. What types of cancers do you mostly see? And are there any particular breeds of dogs that are predisposed to cancer? There are several repeat offenders, I would say. So there are, so there's a lot of cancers that general practitioners deal with that a, lo a lot of them I don't ever see because they're reasonable. There's a lot of benign skin tumors and things that general practitioners remove that are probably pretty common. Um, but I do see a lot of probably mast cell tumors. We have clinical trials right now happening for osteosarcoma, which is a bone tumor in typically larger breed dogs. 
And then melanoma, which is an aggressive, uh, typically oral cavity disease in dogs. So we have clinical trials for both of those. So I think that we see a fair number of those because people are really interested in pursuing vaccine therapy, which we offer here for those diseases. But those are probably the biggest three. Oh, and lymphoma. Yep, so lymphoma is one that we typically just treat with chemotherapy, although there are some exceptions depending on where and who and all of that stuff. But um, those are, I would say, the ones that I see more than others. Okay. So you mentioned large breed large breed dogs. Mm-hmm. Uh, any other kind of just specific breeds where it's like we see a lot of, I feel like, is, is golden retrievers? Oh, yeah. I feel like I see a lot of them when I walk by. I There's a golden's. Goldens get a lot of cancer. I think that the statistic is that like 50% of them will get cancer over their lifetime. We get a lot of boxers. Um, okay. Yeah, boxers Boxers get a few different types of cancers. Um, they get mast cell tumors, which are uh, the most common potentially malignant skin tumor in dogs. Mm-hmm. Um, pugs also get mast cell tumors. I feel like pugs have just a lot of issues in general. Yeah. They do, but they're awesome. They're too. so cute. Okay, and, and what about cats? You mentioned that you do see cats. Mm-hmm, yeah, I think that I would say probably I have I don't know what the actual numbers are, but probably seventy five percent of our patients are dogs, and then about twenty five percent are cats. And cats tend to do a few types of tumors more commonly than others. Um, so lymphoma, cats get a lot of lymphoma, and there's a few different flavors of lymphoma that cats get. And how would a client find out that their pet has cancer? I, you know, their pet is not saying, you know, things hurt, things are wrong. What are some signs? Um, so I would say that it, it ranges from the, a dog goes in for a regular annual exam and on physical exam, the veterinarian finds a lump or a bump on the, on the skin or finds big lymph nodes does a, an oral exam, looks in the mouth, then sees something, feels something on abdominal palpation or rectal palpation. So a good physical exam is really important. Um, I've also seen a fair number of dogs come in that were groomed, and the groomer actually finds stuff wow. on the toes or in the anal sacs or in the ear, you know, just actually when they're getting up close and personal and bathing them, they find things. And so we, we have been sent a lot of patients that had stuff find, found at the groomer. Thank you, groomers. I know. I love it. It makes me so happy when that happens. I'm like, way to go. Yeah. Um, we also will see some patients that are sick. Mm. So either it's like a kind of a chronic illness where they're just progressively getting a little bit worse over a few months, or it's something that's really sudden where, you know, on Friday the dog was completely and totally normal, and by Tuesday they're having difficulty breathing mm. or they're just really not wanting to eat or vomiting or just really lethargic. So it can be a very sudden change. I have to imagine that with so much cancer in human medicine, that clients bringing in their pets who now have this diagnosis that they have cancer potentially could trigger things in clients as well if they've had family members who have experienced cancer. Do you ever experience that those moments with clients where it hits extra hard for them because they've experienced it in their own family. Yes, totally. Um, I think it's sort of hard to avoid. I it's I think that of of the the most important thing about this job is actually taking care of yourself. Yes, talk about that. Okay, all right, I'll do it. <laughs> graduate from vet school 
um, I, I think that that school prepares you in the sense that you learn the things that you have to, to know, although you do forget a lot of them, like immediately after you take a test, it's really <laughs> disturbing, but it, it cannot really prepare you for what it's like to be out on your own and to be in all these situations that have been talked about by yourself and to go through them. It's just, it's, it's different. Mm-hmm. So a lot of the stress that I experienced was because, A, I didn't feel like I was smart enough or that I knew enough to be a good veterinarian. But B, is that it's emotionally challenging sometimes to see sick patients and have to deal with these clients that are in, you know, various moods, some of them angry, some of them sad, some of them just want to talk to you for two hours and you're like, I have to keep moving, lady. Right. So like that's real and the stress is real. And then there's also like the stress of going into any workplace where you have problems with your boss Mm -hmm. or problems with your colleagues or, you know, everything is not perfect. So I, um, I actually, after I uh, finished my emergency internship, I felt really drained emotionally and I was having a hard time coping with a lot of things that felt didn't feel m- more difficult than normal. It was just I was in a weird place and so I actually, I got help. I went to see a therapist and she really helped me to learn coping mechanisms and say, this feeling you have right now, hey, this is burnout. This is what it is. Let's give a name to it. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about ways to recognize it. Yes. Oh, it's 2 p.m. and you're in a bad new- mood. Why? Because you didn't eat today. Yeah. So it's like uh, it's actually learning yourself. Like that's that's all this whole process is about growing up. It's just learning who you are and what messages you're receiving constantly from your body and your brain that you just ignore and like shove in your pocket because right. you have to go into the next room. Mm-hmm. So it's identifying when you don't feel good, why? What is that? What are you trying to tell yourself? Dr. Fox Alvarez, what have we not talked about that students need to hear from you, whether it's about oncology, veterinary school, life? What, what do we want to tell these pre-vet students? I think, you know, honestly, if there was one thing that would have made my life easier going into vet school, it's actually that you are your best teacher. So both, I really do mean that in terms of like only you can know yourself. And so knowing yourself and learning about yourself and what works for you in terms of what makes you feel good and what helps you relieve stress and and all of those things is really important. There um, recently, so when I, I guess when I was in undergrad and then even in vet school, you know, the internet was just a little bit younger than it is right now. Um, and a lot of resources have become available since that time that maybe they were there actually before and I just wasn't really aware of them. But for me, I'm a very, um, like I'm a hands-on learner, I'm a doer, and I'm a visual person, and visuals really help me in things. But they've come out with so many cool ways now to visualize learning things. Yeah. So there's things like the Khan Academy on YouTube. There's things like Osmosis Medicine on YouTube, and they have their own site that you can pay for if you feel like you need it. But stuff like that has really helped me. So if I'm reading about something and I get to a term or a word where I'm like, either I've read this six times before and I still don't remember it, or I'm having a really hard time just grasping a concept, I go to another completely different media. 
and say, how can I look at pictures or look at a video that will explain this? And getting it sometimes from a different angle is so helpful. Mm -hmm. So if you are reading and you are listening to this in between studying for an exam and you get to this one topic that's just driving you crazy because you can't ever remember it, just look up some other way to learn it, and I hope that it helps you. Yeah, be flexible with your learning, and what works for one class or one subject is not going to work necessarily for another one, and that's the same thing. Use as many resources as you can. It's almost a diversity of learning at that point. Mm -hmm. If you're able to uh, look up material in different ways, get into a study group, have someone else explain it to you, feel comfortable going to your teacher's office hours, all of those ways will make you better and then help you explain it to your future classmates, students, clients, um, in as many ways as possible. I want to thank Dr. Fox Alvarez for being on the podcast today. I hope you start looking inward to find out what kind of learner you are, what kind of veterinarian you hope to be someday, and you start feeling more comfortable and more grounded with who you are, because at the end of the day, that is definitely what's most important. I'm Alex Avellino, and we'll talk to you soon. Thank you.